All right, you guys, if you want to get your Bibles out and open to Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 27 is what we're looking at today. Message titled, Putting Suffering in Its Place. We've just been enjoying chapter 8 as it shows us the benefit of having the Holy Spirit of God living within us, what's known as the indwelling Spirit. Last week we looked at how the Holy Spirit helps us to put to death the deeds of our flesh. That if we live according to the flesh, we'll die. But if by the Spirit we mortify or put to death the misdeeds of the body, we will live saw that it's by the Spirit that we're able to kill sin before it kills us. Then we closed out last Sunday by seeing that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. And that the immediate context of that verse is that it's as we're led by the Spirit on how to kill sin in our life, that is evidence that we are redeemed, born again, part of the family. We've been brought near to relationship with God. And so you kind of have these beautiful meldings and blendings of this idea of, um, of uh, indwelling spirit, adoption, and sonship. And then we're going to crest into today what both of those have to do with our suffering and our experiences in life. So indwelling spirit adoption and suffering and uh just so real that each one of us in this room is uh is impacted by suffering in some way you know it's been said that you're either coming out of a trial or you're going into a trial or you're just um you know you're waiting you're in the middle of a trial right now and uh so just it's, it's either on the horizon, but it's something that the Lord is able to use for our good and for his glory. And so let's get into the text today. We're looking at verse 15, where we see that you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. If you go back a few verses to verse 12, we see that we are debtors. Not, we are debtors not to the flesh, to obey the flesh or to live according to the flesh. We saw that we don't owe the flesh anything last week. Uh, we are not slaves to sin anymore. Uh, sin doesn't get to be our taskmaster. The flesh doesn't have a hold on us or some bill that we uh, that's past due that we have to pay it. We're not slaves to the flesh anymore, and so we're. Uh, we haven't received a spirit of bondage again uh, to fear. You know, the idea would be that the slaves would just constantly be living in uh, torment, uncomfortable, knowing that if they didn't please their master just right, then they'd be whipped or punished or put out in a heat box or, you know, um, just uh, severely physically tormented or separated from their family, just a horribly agonizing experience, the life of a slave. And as we learn about adoption, we want to, the Holy Spirit wants us to know that the type of adoption we have um, received is not one of bondage, 
like the past life that we had again to fear, but rather we have received a spirit of adoption, one that makes us cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit replaces fear with freedom, fearless freedom. The slaver of the old age led to fear, especially thinking of God as our judge, but the freedom of the new age gives us boldness to a Approach God as a father. It's so beautiful. And then the Holy Spirit, the indwelling spirit at the end of verse 15, prompts us to call God our father. We've had uh, fearless freedom and now we have filial, uh, filial prayerfulness. Galatians chapter 4 verses 3 through 7 tell us, Even so, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son than an heir of God through Christ. There's something beautiful about the words Abba, Father. There's a preservation in the translations of side-by-side Aramaic and Greek. Aramaic being Abba, Greek being uh, Pater. And so some commentators all the way back to Augustine have said that the the idea trying to get across here by the writer is that... um, We are adopted into the big family of Jews and Gentiles as we would be able to pray out, Abba, Father. This Abba is a family word. It's an everyday word. It's a homely word. And no Jew would have dared to call God Abba or Father and address him in that manner. When the scribes would write the scripture, they wouldn't even write the name of God, let alone address God in such an intimate relational way way. Verse 16 tells us the spirit here. So here's just more role of the spirit. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So there's two witnesses that we're adopted. There's our spirit and there's the Holy spirit. It doesn't say the Holy spirit bears witness to our spirit, but with our spirit. Remember in Deuteronomy and the law in the old Testament where two or more witnesses were there was it was a fact that that had been witnessed and uh and here we have two spirits witnessing that we are children of god second corinthians 1 says that he has sealed us and given the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee you'll see in this passage uh the mighty truth of assurance The Lord wants us to know that we are his, that we are redeemed, and that we have the hope of heaven and being with him forever. He's given us a guarantee stamped into the soft wax of our heart that we are indeed his children. And uh, and hopefully that's encouraging to you today if you're constantly just going through um, doubt that you are truly born again. Verse 17 tells us, and if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And so uh, there's this gorgeous just promise that not only are we children, 
but we're heirs. We have an inheritance. I don't know if any of you just have the hope of an inheritance or receive the blessing uh, of an inheritance of a family that was able to leave you something over the course of time. I remember in my life, my great aunt, you know, left me, I think it was like $700, you know, it was like, I didn't even know she knew I existed, you know, and that was just so wonderful, you know, and, <clears throat> and part of our story is that, um, our ranch, um, went into debt and uh, a whole lot of drama there with that back in the late nineties, early two thousands. And, and my dad, uh, was battling cancer and had his names, uh, his power of attorney was o- turned over to the ranch and through all that bitterness, uh, uh, when my dad passed away, um, the bank and the government ended up taking all of my inheritance. And I shouldn't say all of it. We were left with a little sum, but um, just, you know, taking inheritance from us was was just um, kind of heartbreaking. And yet at the same time, had such a comfort in knowing that that's not where my hope is anyways. And constantly comforted reading passages regarding the inheritance and that we are heirs of the Lord. It's just fantastic. But really, though, the thing that we are heirs of that is just the most splendid are that we are heirs of God, it says there. God is our inheritance. He is the one we will get to have and be with forever. And we'll get to share a place with his son, Jesus, as we're joint heirs with the Lord. I don't know if that's encouraging to anybody, but it does give us an eschatological view of God's heart to take care of us for all eternity. Now, there is this clause at the end of verse 17 that starts with the word if. Ooh, children and heirs. Yes, would have been nice to put a period at the end of all of that, but it keeps going and it says, if indeed we suffer with him. So not only do we have the privilege of glory, but we also have what's been called the peculiar privilege of suffering with him. Colin Krauss says, those who are to be co-heirs with Christ in the future must identify with him in a hostile world. And as we study this text today, we're going to see that this kind of blends between just the suffering that we receive by living in a fallen world and just the, the fallen condition and the depravity of all that's out there going on in the world. It's hard, it's tough, it's anguish, it's agony. But really, a lot of this immediate context is regarding suffering by proclaiming the name of Jesus, being excited that he's our father. The world doesn't want to hear it. You're going to get a black eye and a swollen lip by going around proclaiming that God is your father and has adopted you um, from the slavery of sin. And how selective we are in American Christianity. We like the glory, but we don't like the suffering. We like the crown, but we don't like the cross. Alistair Begg said, what we so desperately want, which is triumph, might be the last thing we so desperately need. But the Lord wants to be with us in the midst of the trial. He wants to be with us in the midst of the suffering. And he wants to empower us to be those who overcome. We finished out the week by reading the book of Revelation. And two times in Revelation, just this word overcome is uh, caught my eye. Revelation 3.21, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Have you ever been to those places? I don't know. They're usually some... 
I guess a furniture store or um, Enchanted Forest or something, you know, and there's like a, just this giant chair there. And it's like, ooh, in the world, you know, the seats like clear up here, you know, ooh, it'd sit up in that thing, you know, and it's like, it's the throne of God. He's made a really big throne. So, you know, room for two, you know, uh, room for everyone who's going to overcome, right? We get to sit with him on his throne. Uh, Revelation 21, seven towards the end of the Bible says, he who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he will be my son. And so, uh, the path to glory is through suffering and verse 17 transitions. It serves into this transition, uh, it serves as this transition verse preparing us for this extended treatment on suffering and the relationship of the Holy Spirit with us as we go through times that are really hard in our life. Look at verse 18. <clears throat> For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Okay, so I want you guys all to kind of take your hands out like this. And what you're going to do is you're going to create a scale here, all right? We've got two pans Things are being weighed in the balance right now. The, the arms of justice right now are weighing out things. And right now in your left hand, I want you to just put all the things that you've gone through in your life that have been suffering, pain, anguish, brutal, just betrayal, hardship, times where tears have gone down your cheek, times where screaming has happened and just all the bad stuff. Oh my goodness. You probably just felt your hand weighed down, hit your lap. There's so much of it. You can barely fit it all in that pan. And now I want you to go ahead and put in your right hand, all the glory that the Lord has in his heart for you, for the future, forever and ever and ever. And what he's bought and what he's paid for. And ever since I was in high school, I would imagine this and it would be like throwing an elephant in this pan over here and just launching everything off the other pan. Like it, it's just not even worthy to be compared. One of my favorite comedians, Brian Regan, I don't even know what the joke is that he's talking about, but if you've ever seen, then you can hear him say, when you weigh it, when you really weigh it, you know, when you're weighing it, then you realize that the sufferings of this present time, they're not even worthy. We can't, there's no scale. There's no scale for this because it, you know, one man said, it's like a thimble full of water compared to all of the water in the whole ocean. It's a drop in the ocean. Of course, right now it seems so big and hard and the Lord knows that he has experienced it himself. He's dwelt here on this earth. He knows what it's like to suffer and he can sympathize with us and he prays with us, but he would just say to us and encourage you today, you guys get your eyes on the weightier pan, get your eyes on the glory when you really weigh it, 2 Corinthians 4.17 says that our light affliction, which is but for a moment, it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You know, as we get in and move on through the text, we're going to see that something that comes out of our suffering is our groaning. It's groaning that happens when we're in pain and when we're hurting and when we're just going through uh, immensely hard times. Groaning signifies those in pain, those on the brink of death, 
a soldier on the battlefield who is wounded, a mother giving birth. And as we go through the section today, we're going to see that there's a global groaning, verses 19 through 22. We're going to see there's a communal groaning together with each other and all of creation. And then we're going to see there's a divine groaning where even God is going to groan with us. It's okay to groan. You guys, you know me, like I am one that most of the time has a smile on my face. And in fact, just my mom used to tell me like, hey, you know what? When you see someone smile at them, you might just brighten their day and make their day. And I just remember riding in the back of my car and we'd pull up to someone at a stop sign and I'd be like, you know, and like they just smile. It's like mission accomplished, you know. Oh, the grinning is good. But you know, there's also the truth. John Stott said, sometimes there's too much grinning and not enough groaning. There's a place for groaning in our life as well. The context of all of this though is hope and help. And so as we get into verse 19, there's a global suffering of creation. Creation is this theater where suffering and redemption occur. If you've ever kind of seen, you know, a child's play in a theater, you know, and it's kind of the quintessential one. If you haven't seen it in person, you've seen it in on TV, you know, where there's this play and there's the main characters, you know, and then there's those kids that got the great part of being like a tree or a bush or something, you know, and they walk around as a tree or a bush or a duck or whatever that they are and their creation and scripture we get into right now is going to show us that all of creation is groaning and suffering alongside of us let's look at verse 19 for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of god there's such great description descriptive words here earnest expectation earnest expectation speaks of a head strained in expectation you know like at our home when you know, grandma and grandpa or Grammy are coming or an aunt and uncle and every, you know, or, or the friends are coming over. It's just like, when are they coming? When are they going to get here? And it's just every three minutes, like, when are they going to get here? Are they going to get here? And they're looking out the window and they're out sitting on the porch and they're kind of playing in the yard. And then they're out on the street and they're looking down the street and they're looking this way and they're that way and they're listening for the, you know, and then there's just, and you wait all day and they're like, they're still not here. And where are they? And then we got two wiener dogs that just, it is not built into them to not bark when somebody comes to the door. The wiener dog barking is the symbol of that they are here, you know, but until those dogs are barking, just when are they going to be here? Are they going to be here? What time are they going to be here? Where are they at now? And you're just like, just, (laughs) then you tell them they're not coming. So then they chill out. And then it's a surprise when they do show up. Works out really great. But there's this earnest expectation. There's eagerly waiting. See that word eagerly? It's the word apodectomai which means looking forward, not to be confused with appendectomy, which is the surgical procedure of removing this uh, appendix, you know, whatever. Also not to be looked forward to, but, um, you know, they're, they're looking forward to something. Creation is looking forward. The whole creation, the universe, animals, plants and so on literally the language speaks of standing on their tiptoes looking for the sons of god to come into the fullness that god has for them all of creation is waiting for it douglas moo says eager expectations suggests the picture of a person craning his or her neck 
to see what is coming. It's a head stretch. And it's just, when is it coming? Are they over? Come on, Lord. Where's it happening? When's it happening? On the tiptoes, craning the neck, stretching the neck, stretching the head, just waiting for the Lord to come. You know, in Mark's gospel, the great commission towards the end of the book, when Jesus says, go into the world and preach the gospel, he says, do it to every creature. It's interesting because the other gospels just say, go preach the gospel to every nation, you know, go speak to all the people. But Mark kind of brings it to like, and don't forget creation. Creation needs to hear the gospel too. We're going to see why in just a little bit, but I just love that because it's just, man, when you are out there working and you just see the effects of the fall here, man, when I moved to central Oregon, I've never seen this plant that I know of anywhere else, but the good old goat head, you know, or also known as the devil's eyelashes. And I, it's kind of satisfying to pluck those things up by their root. And I have a picture of me holding this giant bunch of them that's as tall as I am. And, uh, you know, you got your yellow jackets and all of that. And as you're pulling those things and you're swatting those things and you're fumigating just all of the stuff that's just, oh, preach the gospel to it. Preach the gospel. That's what Mark says. Preach the gospel. Tell them where we're going. And then apologize to it. You apologize to that goat head. You because po- they're talking back like, you think I want this? Oh yeah, my dream for growing up was to be the thing that pops every kid's bike tire in the neighborhood. You know, we're going to see in just a little bit who's responsible for the yellow jacket being the way that it is. News flash, it's you, bubs. All right, look at, uh, as we go on, look at the Phillips paraphrase. Says, the whole creation is on tiptoes to see... The wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. Everything's waiting for just us to live up into the potential of what we've been bought and paid for. 2 Peter 3.13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Or Isaiah 65.17, for behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. And the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. And as I've studied this, I know there's a big camp that just kind of believes, and this was my understanding early on, uh, that just kind of at the end will kind of be put over on this like little safety platform, and the Lord's just going to take the earth and just light it on fire, and just done with you and with the heavens and stuff. And that may be true and probably a bit dramatic on how it happens, but... Um, but I think that kind of the idea that is shown to us in the New Testament that's consistent with what the Lord is doing through the gospel in redeeming fallen things is that he is going to purify the world with fire and he's going to make all things new again, uh, and give this world a fresh start. That's just my understanding. I could totally be wrong. It'll be fun to talk about it when it happens though, huh? But, um, but we see in verse 20 that creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. And when we've memorized Romans chapter eight, it's verses like this that are helpful because they're kind of rhythmic and poetic, you know, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. You know what I mean? Like, thanks Lord. I needed that help. You know what I'm saying? Okay. All right. So creation was subjected to futility. You never knew that I had this gift, this talent. 
probably didn't see me on America's Got Talented because they cut me when I got, um, I'm just kidding. Uh, Creation was subjected to futility, which means uselessness, frustration, vanity. It goes to Ecclesiastes, grasping for the wind, laboring and laboring, and it still comes about under the banner of futility and uselessness. Like the Greek Greek mythological Sisyphus, who would roll a heavy stone up a hill, only to have it roll back down for all eternity. He would do this useless motion. Creation was subjected um, to futility. Who is responsible for this subjection? Eve, right? Eve, you did it, right? Or Adam, right? Or Satan. Yeah, Satan's fault. It's always his fault. Throw Satan under the bus. The verse right here tells us it was God. Creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. Creation's like, I don't want any part of this. What are you doing to me? Not willingly. But it was subjected to futility because of him who subjected it in a hope that it would lead people to repentance it would refine, it would purify, and it would make his redemption to be seen to be all the more beautiful and glorious. Creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. We see the day that this happened was on Genesis chapter 3, verse 16 through 17, the day following the sin of the primeval couple. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you've heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you saying you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, you shall eat it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles and goat heads and devil's eyelashes it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And so something that creation personified, neither thought nor deserved, had happened to it. A similar idea is found in rabbinic literature. One rabbi Jewish literature says, Although things were created in their fullness when the first man sinned, They were corrupted, and they will not come back to their order before Ben Perez, also another phrase of for the Messiah, comes. Isaiah 24, 4 through 6 says that the earth mourns and fades away. The world languishes and fades away. The haughty of the earth languish. The earth is also defiled under its inhabitants because they've transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, the curse has devoured the earth and those who dwell in it are desolate. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men are left. Uh, Cranfield was a uh, British theologian, academic, Christian minister, passed away in 2015 He describes the futility endured by the creation as this. 
We may think of the whole magnificent theater of the universe together with all of its splendid properties and all the chorus of subhuman life created to glorify God, but unable to do so fully so long as man, the chief actor in the drama of God's praise, fails to contribute his rational part. It's like everyone showed up to drama, you know, for the opening night and they all got their plant outfits on and they're waddling out, you know, and the lead actors that got the good part are just goofing around in the parking lot in the back. And they're just like, what is going on? I had to wear the tights that go with this thing for nothing. You know, it's just like, oh man, if the chief actor would do his part, that would be awesome. Fitzmeyer says, The world created for humanity and the service of it was drawn into Adam's ruin. The blessing given to him, fertility of the soul, fecundity of trees. I'm probably not saying that right. And I did look it up this week and I think it means like trees making more tree babies. I don't really remember. Um, Ron Halverson. Reproduction. Yes. Fecundity. Casey, thank you. I think I said that, so I think we're good. Okay. Uh, Brilliance of the stars, the friendliness of animals, limitation of insects. I like that he wrote that. Limitation of, like, you will go this far and you will not enter the house. right? All of that was lost because Eve gave Adam, or humanity, to eat of the forbidden fruit. So all of creation is on their tiptoes, craning the neck, looking up. When's that whole thing we've been hearing about of Jesus coming back on the white horse with ten thousands of the saints and re just reestablishing paradise lost? When's that going to happen? And as you're there pulling weeds, like it's happening soon, little fella. It's going to happen real soon. You know, I'm real sorry. I'm the one that did this. Actually, it was my great grandpa Adam, but then I decided to do it some more after him. You know, so just like you know, just preaching the gospel. Noah, give me a chance, man. I'm only okay. You'll come back though, right? Okay, good. Tough crowd, tough crowd. They're getting up and going today, right? Creation is waiting for this. The trees clap their hands. The earth is saying, get on with it and believe. Repent and believe the good news of the gospel. Let's get this show on the road. We sing the song, joy to the world, the Lord has come. It's good for the earth. You want to go green? The real green is... Be a Christian and start living the life that Jesus has for you. That's the best thing for the environment. But the earth is groaning. Everything that's going on in the planet, like childbirth, the language speaks of, it's, it's painful. As you look at Matthew 24, 6 through 8, it says you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Glad that doesn't apply to us at all. I haven't heard anything about any wars for quite a while. Um, Lots of, lots of rumors of wars, right? See that you're not troubled for all these things must come to pass. The end's not yet because nations got to rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famine, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Or many translations say birth pains, labor pains. And as we see all this stuff happening and just the earth is groaning and the nations are groaning. And I think we all would say there is a level of intensifying volume 
of the groanings of people, places, and things lately. There's a groaning going on. And Jesus says, it's got to happen. Okay, don't despise that. But it's just like labor pains. Increasing in frequency and increasing in pain. It's the beginning of the birth pains. And Douglas Moo says, the analogy of labor pains also calls to mind the joyous outcome of a successful birth and the arrival of new life. So it's not all bad, right? If it was all just bad, people would stop having babies, right? But having that baby in your hand, forgive me for speaking from someone who's never experienced it, but pretty soon after you almost forget what you went through because the joy of the baby, you're like, shut up. You have no idea. I don't but I think I made my point. Okay. Anyway, so we'll move on. Verse 21, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption to the glorious liberty of the children of God. I mean, can you imagine the goat head when it's doing what it's supposed to do? It's like, it's just like this gorgeous thing. You're like, what were you doing for 6,000 years? You know, it's like, you made me, but all right. So what we have had for poor creation, we see the word bondage of corruption. It was bound and shackled and enslaved to corruption, to entropy, to the second law of thermodynamics. And I don't know much about science, but I've memorized this law. Um, it's the only law that I know. I'm not sure what the first one is or the third or any thereafter. But the second one is that all things must go from order to disorder. And that is what has happened since the fall. Death has always won the victory until Jesus. The clock is always winding down, even in your bodies. I never thought I'd notice that. You know, I feel like I'm perpetually a 25-year-old, 27 max. You know, and it's just so crazy. We're looking at memories in our phones, and it's like three years ago, and I look so young. Three years ago. Like, what happened to me? I'm moving so stiff. I just feel like a big, like, giant ogre that can't move or, you know. And, uh, you know, that's, it's all kind of part of it there. Verse 22 says, And we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. All of creation is just groaning, this vocal sound that's expressive of severe pain or distress, physical, mental, a deep sound expressing pain or desire. And the Lord, He knows that, He understands that, and we're going to see that all of creation is experiencing this in the communal suffering. 23 says, not only that, but we also who have first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. In the film Princess Bride, there's this famous line, life is pain, highness. Anyone who tells you differently is selling something. As Christians, we're not trying to sell anything. We tell that how it is that life hurts and is painful. That's a reality, but we'll never be alone in it. We have a God that's experienced it himself. He's working something through it. And one day there will be no more pain and no more tears and no more shame. But we will be saved. We'll see the fullness of that. We too, we who have 
Uh, how does it say? We, have, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. There's something about adoption and then this picture of just the familial family love relationship with God that ought to help us in our suffering. It's good news for the suffering saint. J.I. Packer wrote in his book, Knowing God, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. A wonderful grasp of adoption will give you a wonderful grasp on the Christian life. Merida puts it in four ways. We have the privilege of being God's children. We begin seeing the church rightly as redeemed, adopted brothers and sisters in the Lord. We get caught up in adoration as we consider the glory of who our Father is. And fourthly, we enjoy an unshakable hope, knowing that the mystery of the not yet of the kingdom will one day be seeing the already um, of the kingdom. And so right now we're in that not yet. Like all of this, I thought I was adopted. You are adopted. The paperwork has been done. Mom and dad are on their way. The car is rolling down the driveway. Crane your neck. Be excited to be adopted because although there's a not yet to the completion of it all and what that looks like, one day all of that will be uh, true and real for us. Verse 24, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. It's not referring here to a hesitant affirmation. I sure hope it works out for you, but rather a longing for the completion. I always think of, you know, when you order a package on Amazon prime and you hit that button and you get that dopamine rush because you're a shopaholic and you're like, Whoa, that's the stuff, you know? And then you're like, it'll be here on Friday, you know? And you're just like, yes, Friday, that's not too long away. And then you get that notification, it's shipped. You're like, yes, and you kind of follow the tracking. It's gonna be here, it's gonna be here, it's gonna be here. And then like the day before it comes, you're like, sometimes things come a day early. I sure hope that's the case. And you look out there, nope, not here yet, that's okay. And you're just like looking around and you know the sound of the FedEx truck and you're just waiting around and you're on your toes. And then finally you're doing something and you're busy. You know, it's always when it's gonna happen, you're not paying attention. And you hear the truck roll up and the door slide open and the guy grabs it, walks up on the porch and hits the thing. The dogs start going crazy, right? There, they're doing their job, all right? And have you ever had it to where you're like, you know what? I'm so excited, but I love this like waiting. I'm going to let it sit out there for just a little bit longer. <laughs> you are just like doing your thing, you know? And then you go get it and like the minute you pick it up, you're like, Brr. You bring it in. Well, I guess I'll open it now. You open it, stupid box, you know, and you, you're like, yeah, okay. And then you just go on, right? <clears throat> it's just, <clears throat> it's how Lindsay is. 
<clears throat> but it's the same with the Lord. Like he's like, I'm coming. And for thousands of years, Christians have been like, you know, and Peter talks about those that are like, he's never coming. You know, no, he's coming and he's coming soon. Get up on your toes. Be looking, be looking, be looking. If you eagerly wait for what you hope for, then you're waiting with anticipation. It's a good thing. It shows love. There's perseverance in that. John Stott says, we are to wait neither so eagerly that we lose our patience, nor so patiently that we lose our expectation. Tim Chaddock said, there's no utopia on this side of God's transforming presence. So get on your toes. Get excited for him to come. And the last groaning we we, uh, we see as we close out here is the divine groaning. 26, likewise, the spirit also helps us in our weakness for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. There's help from the Holy spirit. Jesus said in the gospel of John that he would send the helper, the comforter there. We see that prayer is Trinitarian. We pray to the Father by the Son, in and by the Holy Spirit. We see Jesus intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit helps us pray according to His will. Tim Keller says there's two parts to your prayer, the core part and the stupid part. The core part is, I need help, and the stupid part is, and I think I know the solution, Lord. Garth Brooks knew that well when he wrote, sometimes I thank God for the unanswered prayers. As James tells us, you ask and don't receive because you ask amiss so that you can just spend it on your own pleasures. God removes the stupid part by the grace of his Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. He groans as well. And the language is like this unspoken groan. I, I don't believe, and I'm a, I'm a charismatic with a seatbelt. Believe in the gift of tongues, but I don't believe that this is speaking about the gift of tongues. I believe this is something the Holy Spirit does in us. He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And and so there's just this incredible thing that the Lord does in helping us is that when we get to that place where we can't even pray... Be of good cheer because he will pray for us. He will help us pray even in our groanings. Have you guys ever been there? Has anyone in this room ever been there where the only prayer that you can pray is just groaning to the Lord? You don't even have words. I think of through my life, just the Lord has been so faithful to be there in those times of darkness when I was in fifth grade and my dad went through his battle with cancer. He would have these reoccurrences of the cancer. We'd be so excited that he would get these clean reports and then he would have, you know, the, the cancer come back. And this happened a number of times. And I just remember these family meetings and the mom and dad would tell us that the cancer's back and I would run into my room and I would bury my face into my pillow and I would just scream into my pillow. My dad was my best friend, my hero, just love my dad, so near to my dad. I remember a couple of years ago when Josh and Gabe Sadler died in a car accident and, um, they, you know, with uh, Josh's new wife and 
Josh had been in a place of backslidden and and died in a place of being backslidden in an accident. All three family members died. And Josh had um, lived in our home for about six months with his baby, Gabriel. And uh, when I heard that he died, just to be honest and transparent, you know, I just was like, that is what happens when you go back and you just live according to that way. And I just wrestled with that for a little bit and we tuck in the kids in at night. And the Lord just, he's so good to do this, like, and he just flicks a switch in my heart. And I just started wailing. And Russell was laying there, we were praying for him, and I just threw my face into his belly like I was going to give him a raspberry. And I just wailed into his stomach like a bull elk bugling. And I think uh, maybe Tatum, somebody goes, he's joking, right? He's joking. And I was just wailing out. When my dad passed away, I just remember times of just walking through the hall and falling to my knees in the hall and my, you know, living with a bunch of college kids. And we, I just fell down and screamed out to the Lord, wailing to him. And I've just been able to be kind of transparent this week. And with the fasting and the poll Saturday night at prayer last week, I was leading worship and just started leading worship. And I just started weeping and I couldn't finish the song. I just had to be transparent with the prayer meeting, just where I was at. Happened to get on, I think, Tuesday at lunch here. Many of you have been with us this week, and our family has been going through a time of sadness that I've never experienced. Anyone who's lost a child, um, I don't know if it's the same, but you know what I'm going through. I don't know if I know what you're going through, but since November, and I knew that our little Rosie, our foster daughter, was going to be taken out of our home, I felt a pain in my chest like I've never felt before. I had a cold at the same time, and I was like, man, this cold is really weird. It's just really hurting my chest. And, and just the cold went away, and the antibiotics came to me, and Just as time went on for her to go, uh, the only thing that would kind of massage that in my chest was wailing to the Lord. And as time has gone on, it's just so crazy because you'll be just fine. And then just all of a sudden, you'll lose it. You'll lose it, and you'll lose it in public. And I've just been trying to be good and not make things about me, and we'll be at our home group among people I love, and People are sharing about the hard things of their Christmas break. And I'm like, if I crack this open right here, I'm never coming back. Just got to like suppress it, you know. But I think you guys need to know that <clears throat> the Lord knows. Other people in the community know. One thing that the Lord's been ministering to my heart is as I walk through the stores and I'm just like purposefully trying to breathe and work through just chest pain stuff. And the Lord just like, there are people right around you right here that know this pain. And you need to be sympathetic to them and compassionate to them and love on them. And I feel like he's just making me this week during our gatherings, just you guys are going through things and you're in just all across your lives and it just hurts so bad. And you know what I'm feeling 
And just the beauty of it is, is that there's hope for the suffering saint. That the Holy Spirit who indwells you, when you got nothing to pray, Lindsay and I, I don't even know how to pray. I don't even know how to pray. And we'll just lay on the bed and Tatum will come in and weep or just kids will come hold our hands. And <laughs> my elk bugle will come out, you know, and, uh, and there's comfort in that. There's comfort in just being a sloppy, snotty mess in front of you guys. You're my adopted brothers and sisters. And you need to know you don't need to go through this on your own. That is such a weight that the Lord doesn't have for you. Bear one another's burdens, we're told. And so fulfill the love of God. Let us bear that with you. When you're groaning and you're wailing and you don't even know if the Lord knows, 27 closing us out today just as assurance. Don't you worry about that. The Lord knows exactly what the Spirit is uttering. The Lord has an interpretation for your groan. And He'll be there with you. Amen.